We see employees who are connectors and influencers, but they are not um, officially holding a job or a title for doing that, right? The result is that they are making that under radar impact, if you like, and they are not getting recognized for that. They need this recognition, not only in terms of getting paid or promoted, just to get positive feedback, praise for your efforts. I think it's very important. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome back to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is someone that I met back in the spring when we worked together on a project uh, for a mutual client. Uh, and as part of the planning for the, the program and our conversation afterwards, we got to talking about a, a network theory called uh, organizational network analysis and why it's so important. And from that conversation, I really felt that that's something uh, that's that's important to bring into the podcast. Now, don't switch off if you think it sounds really dry. It's not, It's but it is important. Uh, a lot of what I share in terms of networks is, is theory-based, a lot of it, but it's very practical and I use a lot of stories to bring things alive. But the, the theory that lies behind it is important. And particularly if you're in a leadership role or an aspiring leadership role, you really need to know about this because one of the things that came out of our conversation and some uh, some further reading that we discussed uh, after that conversation is that a lack of knowledge of ONA, as it's known in sh uh, for short, is costing companies and they're losing their best talent. They're not nurturing their top talent. They're maybe not measuring all of the right metrics when they're looking at the impact of their employees and they're letting people go. Uh, and, and that's damaging. So that's really where we want to go uh, today. So my guest is Jan Papuchoglu. And I hope I've got that right. Jan said, call him Paps for short. He told me that it's uh, it, it's short for Shoemaker. Um, but I'm sure British people will be relieved when I say that he's not going to talk a load of cobblers. And please excuse me that one. I know that's a terrible, terrible joke. Um, but I had to do it because I love dad jokes. Um, so so Jan and I worked on this project together. Uh, Jan is from originally from Turkey, as his name would suggest, lives in the UK now. Um, and as I say, I was really impressed with him when we worked together. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Jan, while I'm stuck on making terrible, ter terrible, terrible dad jokes about your name, I hope you can forgive me for that. And thank you for joining me uh, on the Connected Leadership Podcast. That's absolutely fine, Andy, and I'm happy to be here. And I hope that we'll make this as uh, meaningful and as fun as possible, as you've just mentioned. Uh, and about my name, you know, everybody gets it uh, wrong. I'm totally fine with it. I make jokes of my uh, name and my last name as well. So <laughs> feel free to continue to make those jokes. That that's fine. Well, well, we'll call it. We'll settle on the one. Uh, and I have a surname that everyone struggles with as well. And just to balance things out, my my surname is uh, an Eastern Europe, a common word in Eastern Europe, and it means shovel. Oh, um, so you can make a very similar joke based on that if you like, because I'm sure that there are many people who will. Right. Shovels uh, so, and cobblers, then. <laughs> absolutely, shovels and cobblers, and there's a long way we can go with that. So, so. 
let, let's dig into uh, ONA, or Organisational Network Analysis. Um, can you just explain it for people who haven't come across it before to, to, to kick us off? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, simply put, Andy, uh, ONA, or Organisational Network Analysis, is a, a set of mathematical techniques for analysing and visualising relationships inside an organisation. Uh, while the research dates back from the 1950s, it has been adapted to business in, I think, in the last decade. decade. So um, what it does, it basically collects data through active, uh, such as like surveys and passive tools, such as like monitoring the amount of emails you exchange with a certain number of people. ONA is a diagnostic tool to figure out how work is accomplished rather than how the work is organized, right? Now, many companies do run diagnostic tools. Uh, ONA is a useful tool that can give you uh, an unseen opportunity as well as the bottlenecks in that organization. Um, if we use uh, medical analogy, uh, ONA is more of an X-ray or an MRI scan uh, which provides things we cannot see with our naked eyes. And I think it adds, I think this is the most important bit, it adds social capital to the human capital at this uh, at different perspective. Uh, we tend to measure our human capital by their skill sets and experience and background and so on. But we can't usually find those people who actually make things happen by connecting the right people for the right tasks. So that's what it does. So, so let's um, while we're on definitions, let's go into social capital a little bit as well, because it's a term that I've used a lot and I've written about in the past as well. But again, I think it's it's a fairly modern term, something yeah. that's really only become um, more widely used in the last few years, and it's probably not completely understood or used consistently. So, when you talk about social capital, what are you looking at particularly? Uh, well, that's a great question, and I think. This is a challenge that I'm also having when I'm using the term social capital. Uh, people are asking, why is it different than the human capital? Uh, well, the human capital, um, by its definition, I think uh, we tend to see the human cap capital as an asset uh, by their skills and you know, their behaviors and, and so on. I think the, uh, the social capital part of it is the ability uh, to uh, to have meaningful relationships, uh, the opportunities that arise from that, or um, in a very, very traditional way, how to make uh, more meaningful work by, uh, by simply uh, creating something bigger than its parts. I think that's the social uh, capital part of it. Uh, again, it's a very new term, and I think people will understand the value in it in the years to come. So, so human capital, you would see, is the more traditional way that we measure uh, the output from the, from the people that we employ. Um, the social capital is all the interconnections, the relationships, uh, and, and what value that brings to that individual's output. Exactly. And that's the key to sustainable success or the, you know, uh, the sustainability of everything that is behind an organization. Yeah, and I think it's a very important concept that, that we need to be a lot more aware of. But let's focus on organisational network analysis, as that's the promise uh, of today's episode. Um, 
let, let's let's take the theory and put it into more practical terms because I know that that's what people really relate to. So how have you used this with your clients and where have you seen it used most effectively? Uh, yeah, uh, so there are a couple of ways you can effectively use ONA, Andy. Uh, imagine the situation we are uh, in at the moment. It's post-COVID. Um, people are working from home or you know they are coming back to the offices. Now, more than ever, companies struggle with an internal collaboration, right? Mapping silos and identifying you know, risk of leaving. Um, and one asks what can be done then, right? And ONI offers a process of mapping your organizational network, kind of an MRI, as I just told you before, that allows you to see where the gaps are, uh, are and act proactively to enhance collaboration. Uh, well, collaboration is a very vague term, right? And so just to give you a, a bit more uh, substance, another way can be promoting network leadership, right? We train leaders to do network, First, they need to learn how to analyze their network and then they learn how to make an impact, how to use their network to promote goals. Who are the influencers? Who are the connectors? If you don't know these, there is no way that you can be uh, an effective network leader, right? So um, just to give you a specific case, we worked uh, was in a company who were in the middle of a not so easy merger, right? We were able to find real measures to assess organizational structures. We can measure centrality, reciprocity, level of communication, collaboration, and etc. So if you are moving to a new metric structure, you want to know if your new structure is effective or not. This is where we help. And uh, last but not least, I think innovation. Uh, a key indicator to innovation or innovative culture is diversity of thinking styles. Diversity is achieved if people from different parts of the organization are connected. It's not all about the background or the ethnicity or the gender. If we see a close group of, let's say, R&D or you know, product development that has no relations and communication with people from other departments, well, we know definitely that there's no diversity of thought. Uh, they all think the same and agree with each other. Uh, but to empower innovation, we help companies create diverse communication between the teams. It's actually this specific problem that I've just told you that led me to have an interest in ONA. Um, do you mind if I tell you a story about this, Andy? No, please do. All right. All right. Exactly um, what I want. That's great. That's great. So a few years ago, um, when I was back in Turkey, living in Turkey and uh, doing business in Turkey, I was asked to participate in the board meeting of a stocking and lingerie business in Turkey. Uh, they wanted an outsider's perspective on their culture and leadership, so I was invi invited and I was sitting in that boardroom and they were brainstorming on introducing a more innovative, uh, not, a, not one, but more innovative products to the European market. So one promising idea that was generated, that brought to the table, was to introduce uh, stockings where you can remove the parts that covers one's feet without taking the whole thing off, right? Um, for some cultures, this is a very useful thing, especially for, let's say, Muslim women who make ablution before their prayers. Yeah. Um, now, for some contexts, the executive board consisted predominantly middle-aged male members like me, with one exception, a bright woman at her 
probably late 20s, you know, uh, early 30s. When the idea for the stocking, um, stockings was pitched, there was an almost um, immediate, unanimous rejection. They were dismissing the idea based on the belief that the European market was not the best geography for this product. Heads nodded with approval of the prompt decision. You, you, you know the drill. Um, yet, right when I thought the case was settled, right, the only female board member in the room spoke up. She suggested that this product can be used of women in other ways, such as like when getting a pedicure. Right? I never thought of this. Uh, the impact she made with that one comment was so powerful. After a few seconds of total silence, the board members offered their appreciation of her input and rushed to visualize this new opportunity. A few months later, uh, the product was on the market in Europe, contributing to the company's revenue in millions. And the only reason that million-dollar idea came to fruition was because there was a person in that room who was different from all the other people. She was a woman in a sea of men and was willing to speak up even though her opinion deviated from the rest, right? What's even more important is that she was in that room. She was part of that decision progress. Now the question is, what happens when people with bright ideas are not able to be in that room, or more importantly, do not know how to influence people who are key decision makers. I think ONA can be used as a great tool to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion. And my observation over the years is that people's motivations are more intrinsic. For example, being able to express their thoughts and have the chance to make an impact, or more importantly, praise for it, rather than fancy offices or you know, pay raise after a... Uh, certain point. Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. The topic of cognitive diversity is something that um, I come back to time and time again on this podcast. Whenever anyone says anything like this, I'd jump on it because I think it's so important and so underestimated. I'm always recommending Matthew Syed's uh, Rebel Ideas, which is a brilliant book on on this particular topic. Yeah. Uh, and a story I may have shared on the podcast before is, you know, I, I had a, have a client in Germany who brought me in because they had that uh, they had offices all across Germany and they brought everyone together into what they called their innovation center because they wanted to create more cross-fertilization of ideas. So it was all designed with that in mind, with hot desks rather than set areas, uh, breakout areas for discussion and so forth. And what they found was that when people came into the office, they that they automatically reverted to work in the clusters they'd been working with geographically across Germany. So yeah. they weren't hot desking next to someone from a different team. And they brought me in to just talk, encourage them to, to interact a lot more and, and build those networks, build those relationships internally. And one of the nice bits of feedback I got after the work that we did was that a, a group of uh, the, 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 the technicians, the innovators who were designing new products, 
brought sales team members into the conversation and which they would never have done before this was after the, after the sessions that we ran and as a result of that they got different perspectives that had a big impact uh, on the, the the designs that they were working on so it is something important to do how does the data uh, and the algorithms of an, of an ona approach help to identify that cognitive diversity uh yeah so uh it's, it's, it's not something that you can see it immediately from a bird's eye uh, view. Uh, so uh, using a tool uh, and asking people simple questions like, who do you go to when you need a creative or a different approach? Uh, and when you get a cluster of answers uh, indicating to the same person over and over again, right? This means something. This actually shows that gem uh, in that uh, in that organization uh, because of her or his um, different thinking style or her background or whatever. Uh, but the, basically, the importance being the diversity of thought, uh, how how they bring new ideas and new perspectives to the table actually makes a difference. And in order to su support that. I think the best way is to ask the actual people in that organization and uh, what really uh, makes it different on a daily basis, who makes it different on a daily basis. And with ONA, you can you know, spot this systematically and uh, figure out what you can do about it. So again, it comes back to your difference between human capital and social capital and measuring yeah. what we're not measuring at the moment. So that, that brings me on to, I, I guess, the, the theme of the podcast, um, which is are you underestimating the value of the hidden gems in your organisation? And, you know, part of our, our conversation after we were working together with our client <clears throat> is you shared an article with me by by Rob Cross on this yeah. topic. And, and I just want to read out... Uh, an extract from that and then get your 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 take on this because I think this is a very I don't often quote long pieces from articles but I think this is important in this context so what Rob Cross said in the article was over two decades of work with more than 300 organizations we found that three to five percent of people in a typical network account for 20 to 35 percent of the value-adding collaborations Yet when I compare my list of the Mitchells, so the Mitchell was an, an example of a, a, an avatar, if you like, that he created to, to describe this type of person. Yet when I compare my list of the Mitchells, often hundreds and sometimes thousands of central connectors distributed through an organization against the company's list of who they see as top talent, there's typically less than a 50% overlap. Among other problems, this means that many people making the most significant collaborative contributions are not getting recognised and they often burn out and leave. So that's the extract from Rob Cross's article, the, the, the thing that really stood out for me uh, and shared something new with me. Is it a problem that you've seen often and is it something where you can say, actually, this happened there and this is how we addressed it? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, and as far as I've observed so far, it comes in two forms. Right? The first one is uh, we see employees who are connectors and influencers, but they are not um, officially holding a job or a title for doing that. Right? The result is that they are making an under-radar impact, if you like, and they are not getting recognized for that. 
They need this recognition, not only in terms of getting paid or promoted, just to get positive feedback, praise for your efforts. I think it's very important. Again, this ties in with the intrinsic motivations that I've just, uh, we've talked about, those little fires that we can keep lit. Uh, and the second uh, form is employees who are connectors could also become, uh, well, actually bottlenecks, right? They get burned out by the amount of work that they are doing, and it's not easy, um, not so easy for the company to find solutions for that, right? The most recent example that come to my mind is that we had a case in a big financial firm who had such a guy, and we recommended growing someone from his team to share the burden. Uh, it was done at some point, but it was a painfully, painfully slow process, and eventually the guy left. And um, there is no uh, corporate memory after he left. So it's hard enough to find talent for your organization these days. I mean, I just read an article uh, that was uh, showing that the job vacancies outpaced unemployment for the first time in the UK. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, yeah? Y- yes. There, there's... Um... The, the lies, damn lies and statistics argument that it looks at how you interpret it. Um, but we're certainly in a, in a place where the job market uh, is very much uh, in favour of people looking at the moment. Exactly. So the question is, what are the things that we are not doing as an organisation? Uh, and do we set the qualities we're looking for correctly? Right. I mean, it's, again, it's hard enough to find talent for your organisation. It's another matter how we, what we do uh, to keep those talent in the organization. Do we do enough or do we do the right things? And do we set the qualities that we are looking for? Are they correct? Uh, that's the, uh, I think these are the ultimate questions in that sense. Well, let's dig into that a bit more deeply because I know we've touched on this throughout, but I think mm. it, it will be helpful to people to almost list this stuff. So what are the qualities that when people are recruiting and when they're looking at promotion opportunities and so forth and, and rewarding uh, rewarding activity within an organisation, rewarding output, what are the qualities we're missing that they really should be measuring, they really should be looking for? Yeah, uh, so we go back again to the human capital versus social capital, yeah. to be honest, because uh, when companies are looking for uh, their t- top talent, it's predominantly skills or let's say high order skills, as we call it, such as like analytic ability, uh, problem solving, etc. However, as you move up in the corporate ladder to be an expert in their field, to, the, to do your job with high quality and in time is simply not enough, right? Even being agile is not enough. When you become a manager or a people's leader, it's highly likely that you got that position based on how successful you were in you were in your previous role, whether you've met your goals and KPIs and so on. But when you step into a leadership role, Andy, leading people, necessary qualities change. They become more human and behavior oriented. For example, uh, being open and transparent. Um, the ability to guide and influence and coach, be a coach-like leader, uh, how you connect deeply and widely throughout the organization, um, do you promote diverse views or not, do you encourage inquiry and experimentation, safe experiments in your organization or in your team, uh, do you nurture ongoing adaptation, 
Do you reward uh, innovation? And are you skilled in, especially, a digital communications method that can, can be scaled? These are the skill sets or the qualities that we tend to overlook. And then we go, oh, we never thought about these. Now he or she is a leader. Let's try to, you know, um, let's try to find a way to improve those skills. And uh, we don't know where to start. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it, it's it's such a key point for people. We need to start measuring these skills. And as you say, if we can measure them through data collection, through asking those key questions. And actually, one of the things that's really come out for me from what you've talked about, it, it's tapping into the body of the organization as a whole, isn't it? The, the collective knowledge. Um, so by asking through surveys and so forth, who do you turn to for this? Who do you turn to for that? Who displays this? It's not just relying on line managers uh, to make their decisions. Uh, do you see a big shift in how people are received if if it's come from that popular collaborative knowledge rather than just uh, management knowledge? Uh, yeah, I do see a big shift and it's coming in waves, Andy, to be honest. And, um, and that wave is soon to become, I suspect, to be a tsunami. Uh, which will uh, make or break the companies uh, for their uh, sustainable um, success in the near future. Uh, so the key thing is that uh, when you have that social capital, uh, do, you, um, do you make such, um, such um, how, how shall I put this, do you make such effort to capitalize on that capital, do you nurture it, or do you just make your decisions based on uh, passive uh, skill sets that has been used once they, while they were hired, and just leave it that way? So um, I, th I think it's a it's a change uh, changing time, and yeah. I think we are in the middle of it. And not all companies does this differently and well, but thankfully some of them are. So are you seeing where, where companies are using this? Are, is it a tool that's being used by management to look at who the key people are? Or are they embedding this knowledge into the culture of the organization as a whole? Because I would have thought that if you're going to drive collaboration, mm -hmm. you need to be devolving the, uh, the the application of this data to to people who are who are doing who are doing the work on the ground to encourage them to find the right people. How is that transfer of knowledge happening from doing the organizational network analysis and getting the data points to building that into the culture of the organization so that someone on one team who needs support from another team is actually asking for it, knows who to go to, and is getting the response that they need. Yeah, uh, so um, ONA uh, and any other tool is basically useless if you don't have a psychological safe environment, right? If you have an organization or a culture that uh, empowers people to actually go and ask for help. So ima ima imagine an organization where fear rules Right? and you are measured only by your KPIs and goals, whether you met them or not. And imagine that you are in a situation where you don't know what to do. Uh, 
so if it's a fear organization, let's say, uh, you don't choose to go and ask the right person to help you out. You will be probably stuck in, in your very small circle where you actually trust and see as a friend. So in that case, let's say I'm struggling with something and I go and say, hey, Andy, you know, I need help because I know I can trust you. But maybe your influence and your, um, your area of effect is limited. So what do, what do I do? So instead of uh, trying to ask uh, and go to other people and ask for help, I just help, hold back. And this actually uh, hurts the organization as well as the person. The person probably feeling burnout and uh, leave the company and uh, the organization is now uh, is, uh, is out of uh, you know interesting solutions that might be the case. I mean, we've seen a lot of companies who were ruled by all these um, command and control over the years and the, uh, and the results were catastrophic at the end of the day. Um, so network building and collaborative behaviors are becoming more and more important, even more important than these thinking skills that we have. Uh, they need to uh, work hand in hand. Uh, and uh, th that culture is the key, um, the, the culture where people not only are comfortable asking for help, but where people are going to help them. And you mm -hmm. talked about asking your friends. It, it's quite funny you said that because... I've got something, you know, that uh, I, I'm sharing in talks that's fairly new in the talks. And the talk that, I, you know, we worked on together, that was the first time I delivered it. And that yeah. was the three reasons why your colleagues will help you. Uh, and number one is because there's something in it for them. Number two is because they're told to and then they're going to do it reluctantly. Or number three is because they like you. And that's obviously the one that's going to um, really get them, get their heart into it. So creating a culture where, how do we create a culture where people are going to help colleagues, even if they don't know them that well? So they haven't had the chance to build that relationship, but the whole organization is built on a culture of mutual support and collaboration. How do we bridge that gap? Because I think that's a big challenge for so many organizations. Yeah. Uh, so culture is, is a very, very, um, very vague word in my opinion. I ask leaders how the culture in their organization and they generally answer, yeah, it's great, you know? And then I ask, good, what makes your culture great? And it seems like a very hard question to answer properly, right? Um, so back to your question, um, I think the challenge here is to, uh, when, you, when you have that keynote, I was quite impressed by the third um, tier, uh, if you like. Uh, that's when people like you and actually want to help you. Because even though that you may not be able to help, you are willing to find someone in that organization, in your network, that actually can help me, right? So how do we get there? Uh, I think it's basically building on trust, the relationships that are based on trust, built for, from trust. And trust is, is, is something that is... Um, it's quite tricky, actually. I mean, uh, it can be broken very quickly, but actually it is your own uh, decision 
to break it or not. Mm. So this is a very personal point of view uh, in that sense. But as an organization, as a culture, uh, the culture consists of uh, behaviors and beliefs, right? And those beliefs just forms over the years and those helpful or unhelpful stories, right? Uh, the, other, the other day, just to give you an example, I've got a six-year-old, right? A daughter, she's very curious, obviously, for a six-year-old. Everybody's like that. And she was saying, Dad, why doesn't a double-decker bus passes in front of our house, right? She wants to be in that double-decker uh, bus. And I said, I don't know, maybe it's not a very busy area. And she said, yeah, I want that. And I told her that, you know, why don't you write a letter to the mayor of London, all right, and ask for this. And she went immediately, but he won't read it, right? I was quite shocked. You know why? Because here's a six-year-old who've never written a letter to a mayor, right? And how she comes up with that belief is beyond me. Then I start to think, and I've just realized that me and my wife, my partner, is just speaking about this, all the politics in Turkey and etc., and sharing all these uh, unuseful stories, right? Bad stories. And she probably heard them and she formed a belief, right? So back in the organization thing, when you are in the uh, higher levels of the hierarchy and you tell these unhelpful stories, people start to form uh, beliefs. And with those beliefs, if they're unhelpful, uh, they become, okay, I'm not going to ask that because, you know, this culture does not allow this. And it just feeds uh, fuel to the fire, right? So it's our job to find those people who are sharing actually helpful stories uh, so that the culture can change based on individual beliefs and it takes time i think uh, that's a lovely illustration and you know we've talked about storytelling a lot on the podcast from a positive perspective yeah. uh, and i would point people we, we interviewed uh, david Mc, mcqueen and lee cockerell from disney uh, world about the power of stories which i i, I put in the uh, uh a, a connected uh, leadership podcast gold a couple of weeks ago so it's worth checking out but we always talk about it from a positive perspective, but yeah. not looking at the impact of our negative stories uh, on people in terms of, of that culture. And you talked about trust as well. And there, there's um, there's a whole episode with Vanessa Hall, who's a trust expert, trust in business expert on the podcast. And it's it the, 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 they are intertwined in the way that you, you, you talked about. Um, mm -hmm. So it's important that we understand that and we look to create that uh, that connection. Uh, in, in the conversations we have and creating that collaborative culture. You've actually come up with something that I think helps me expand that new point in the in the talk because I talked about the, um, the three reasons people will help you. And yeah. you said that if people like you, then they'll, if they can't help you, they'll refer you on. And I think we can actually take those three reasons. And if I reorder them slightly, so we say, if people are told to help you, they'll yeah. do the minimum necessary. Exactly. If there's something in it for them, they'll do what they need. If they like you, they'll go the extra mile. So you've actually helped me develop that keynote a little bit further because I think that's quite a nice way of looking at that, uh, that equation as well. 
Lovely. Lovely. Th th there's one last thing I want to, to ask you about, and it, it comes from from the uh, uh, the Rob Cross article as well, and it's something mm -hmm. that I hadn't looked at before, and it really struck me as very interesting. He talks about people who can become too connected. Oh. Um, and, and so in your experience, is there a risk of networking too much and becoming overly connected? Uh, well, yeah, uh, in a sense, actually, the risk exists while employees work only by connecting and increasing the network and less in the execution of their work, then it might happen, right? At the beginning of this podcast, and we talked about the qualities that are important to be a good leader. Among these qualities, the top ones are probably professionalism and more importantly, seeing relationships as an essential to make our lives more meaningful rather than seeing them as transactions or assets which we can use for our benefit every time we you know, see fit. Um, so when you look at it from a strategic point of view, um, I've witnessed a couple of common enablers which I see in many sustainably successful organizations. They build relationships from trust, as I told you before. The communication is candid and clear. They hold each other accountable. They look forward to be a member of an engaged team. They lead with curiosity and genuinely have an interest in their people. They actively seek feedback for continuous improvement and innovation. And finally, they have a strategic vision aligned with their customer focus, right? So once you have those enablers, if you like, in place, Collaboration comes automatically because you clearly understand that collaborative behavior actually means more than parts. It's parts. So uh, back to your question again. If you have all these enablers in place and if you have a common goal that you can walk through, then there is no risk of becoming too connected because uh, you are not selfish anymore. So uh, from being selfish, I wouldn't say selfless, but I'm, uh, if you move to a, being a part of a, uh, of a larger uh, organization that, is, that, that means more and is more meaningful, I think that's where you uh, eliminate that uh, risk and actually uh, be beneficial for yourself and for your organization and, to be honest, for the whole world. Wonderful. Well, so in short, focus on your social capital, not just your human capital. Uh, as a leader, know where those hubs are within your organization. Build a culture where people are encouraged to find where the creativity lies, where the information and the expertise lies, and celebrate those people as well. Uh, and encourage everyone to help everyone else. And if you're doing that, you're not going to be too networked. You're going to be getting the best possible results. Well said, Andy. Well said. <laughs> Jan, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I hope I lived, and I'm sure you've lived up to this promise, that this wouldn't be a dry theoretical discussion. I hope really, so. Really bringing an important idea to life. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Uh, well, Andy, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure, um, you know, uh, being in this podcast, uh, being able to work with you uh, in a project. And I hope that this conversation uh, would be meaningful for the, our listeners. 
I'm sure it will. And I look forward to working with you again. Thank you, Jan. So thank you so much to Jan for that. Uh, as I say, I hope I lived up to the promise and I've given you a nice distilled summary of the conversation at the end there, which I know some people want a little bit more of at the end of the podcast. Um, it, it, it is an important point to look at. You know, my approach, I've looked at a lot of models uh, for networking, including this over the years. Um, and I guess that I tend to be someone who, who works more on stories and impact of my own models rather than bring technical models from elsewhere in. Um, whether you use ONA in a very formulaic sense, and I think there's huge benefit to that, particularly asking the right questions, or whether you just are aware of it and you change how you look at and measure the impact of the people you have on your team, it's an important message to take away, this differentiation between human capital and social capital. So I trust that's something that's of value. If you have found this interesting and you think it's insightful uh, and of use, please do share it, uh, share it on social media, send it in, in an email to someone in your network who you think will be ben will benefit from it. It's a great way uh, to touch base with them. Uh, and if you can review and share on social channels, as I always ask, I would really appreciate it. And join us again next week for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.